2: Truth and Movies. Today, Trouble at Milne with Goodbye Christopher Robin. Man finds treasure in his son's poo. And Daphne, flame-haired Emily Beecham is cooking, but is it worth you looking at this simmering tale of a hard-boiled chef who has no relish? Plus, Film Club, party like it's 1986, as we review John Hughes' teen classic Pretty in Pink, Molly Ringwald, Andrew McCarthy and that prom dress. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Today on Truth and Movies, David Jenkins is back with us. Hey there. Hey there you, David. And we're joined by Elena Lazic. Hi, Elena. Hello. You've been in before, but not when I've been here. Exactly. Well, lovely to see you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, have you had fun watching the films this week? Yeah. Ish. Okay, <laughs> ouch. All right yeah. then.
3: Uh, well, fun, yeah.
2: Okay, well we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. Mark Millam says, Hello, crew. Hello to you, Mark. While considering your fascinating discussion of directors who will be heralded in 30 years' time, like Spielberg is now, he says, Somebody quite rightly mentioned Chris Nolan in this category. Personally, says Mark, I feel he will be revered akin to Terrence Malick and will make fewer and fewer films over time. But, says Mark. I wonder if perhaps he's become rather like the Radiohead of film in the sense that his work is beyond serious criticism and is rather protected and defended by the most ardent of fans preventing a true judgement. Do you think this is fair? Uh, Mark cites the recent Dunkirk and says that while he re- really enjoyed it, any criticism against it was instantly dismissed both online and in print. Elena? Um, Is he a sacred cow? Do you think Kristen Nolan?
3: I don't think so. And I think the way that he made Dunkirk, which was like a really personal movie, which isn't exactly as commercial as like The Dark Knight or something. I think that's him trying to move away from this like commercial, untouchable thing and trying to do something more personal and kind of you know, like, a personal project alter mm. style, I think that, yeah, like, he's opening himself more to, like, criticism, and I think that's great.
4: Right, excellent. I don't know, I th- I kind of think that the thing about Nolan is that his kind of natural way of filmmaking is commercial. You know, like, his personal and commercial has kind of overlapped quite a lot, and, you know, a film like Dunkirk, even though it had that kind of slightly experimental edge, it was, you know, purpose-primed to entertain an audience, which it did, like, amazingly well, so... I don't know. I, I'm not sure, comparing with Terrence Malick, who is my kind of god. I think he's is, talking he, in terms of the number of films that he, he, he churns uh, out. I, I see, I see. Hmm. I'm not sure. I think he, Christopher Nolan lives for filmmaking, Yeah, and, and like yeah. for him not to be doing that would be a waste of time. He's like a shark. He is, indeed. Hmm. A shark of cinema. Ben Mahon
2: says, I realise I'm late on this, but when I was 18, I did some work experience at a film magazine that sadly now folded Hot Dog. Do you remember Hot Dog? loved hot dog there you go Uh, anyway ben was asked to review far from heaven which we talked about last week in film club and slated it calling it painfully quaint amongst other things six months later imagine ben's embarrassment when he started his film degree and looked at the films of douglas sirk the embarrassment i felt said ben when i realized the homage had gone way over my head could you please apologize to anyone who didn't see it because of my review in hot dog
4: all right ben Oh, I'm totally guilty of that myself. You've done that yourself, have you? Yeah. When I used to work for Time Out, I would be reviewing all these films from the London Film Festival from then what I assumed were very obscure directors and, you know, I think were were (laughs) quite brutally offhand with some of them and... I'm not going to give names here, but there are some reviews that. Oh, you have to! I, I will, you can't tell the story and not. No, to. No, no, no. Which no. ones did you get wrong? Come no, on, no, David. No, because we all make mistakes. Th- no, that the thing is, it's, there's, there's, there's too many. I think. Like, <laughs> so what? What? Uh, there, what there, review there, there, do you most regret? It's then? more like an era of my criticism, which I, I would want like put in a container and dumped into the North Sea, yeah, mm-hmm. and never to be seen again. And so. what changed then? What did what, what what enabled you to get things the first time? Well, I think that because I, where I lived, I had this amazing uh, video. show shop on my road called the film store mm. sadly defunct but it was it was incredible it had like it basically uh, stocked uh, the films by director so I would like for a weekend be like oh, I'll, go and I'll watch all of Fellini's films I'll watch all of Robert Bresson's films I'll watch all of Truffaut's films and that was like m- so I knew that I couldn't sort of fake it for too long at time out so I, I really like mainlined movies by okay. director from that shop and then I got to I think I got barely to a point where I could you know, I had a bit of uh, relative relativity, I guess. Right,
2: that's nice. One
4: classic that you got wrong. Come on. No, I, 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 I can't I, believe I, I, you are going to bottle this. I'm going to bottle this. I'm sorry, but there, there are a lot because that's the thing. I don't want people to go and look them out out because they're so bad.
3: But it wouldn't be fair to you anyway. E-
4: exactly. Hey, Why thanks, not, Selena.
3: Because it was a long time ago, and we, now now the well, think.
2: We, we review films that were made a long time ago. Yeah, but and now
3: and with Twitter and stuff, like you already, if you just voices an opinion, yes. you have immediately people telling you that's. You don't. You're just a bit ignorant. I think, and you I need think to learn.
4: I, I, I'm even hoping, just from what I've said now, that people aren't looking. I, of course, they will be.
3: Yeah, and if you look, just be fair. Right. It's a different time.
2: Exactly. Elena, have you made a review which you have subsequently come to regret?
3: Well, I mean, I haven't been in creative for that long, so I don't know. Right. <laughs> well,
4: it doesn't take long. I mean, I've done loads. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well I'm may, sure maybe, I've been maybe wrong. next year you'll be looking back at your reviews from this year. Going, yeah, maybe. What was I thinking?
3: B- mm. I mean, that, that's definitely going to happen. I'm sure.
4: But I, I, to be honest, I think it's like it's bad. Just to defend Ben here, yeah, I do think it's a bad attitude to feel that you got something right. The idea of right and wrong, and like getting a film and not getting a film, is like, it's not a thing. So like, you know, don't feel bad. You just you were just honest at that time in your life, and yeah. I mean, you know, as is, and everyone's just honest at this, the time of their life and the experience they have at that time. So. Yeah, beautiful words. Uh,
2: if you'd like to get in touch with any personal problems relating to film criticism <laughs> or just opinions in general, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com, is the email address at Little White Lies on Twitter, or you can find us on Facebook. We're gonna to start today with Goodbye Christopher Robin.
3: The creatures in the story are toys. They're toys, but the woods are real and the size is wrong. The bear should be smaller. The size of the little brother. There. Yes.
1: Yes, that is. Are you writing a book? I thought we were just having fun.
3: We're writing a book and we're having fun.
1: I didn't know you could do both at the same time. You don't usually look like you're having fun while you're writing.
2: You thought Winnie the Pooh was just a much-loved tale of childhood innocence and bears playing in woods, but it's all about tragedy and uh, the brutal exploitation of a child's dreams. (laughs) Uh, This is Goodbye Christopher Robin, dealing with the inspiration behind... A. a Milne's Winnie the Pooh stories and the impact that their incredible success had on Milne's own son Christopher Robin starting out in 1941 as Milne and his wife Daphne received a dreaded telegram from the war office the film
4: then heads off to a lot of different places David Indeed it does um, this film is like I think a really good case of a, an absolutely fascinating rich uh, idea and story that kind of deals with these really kind of big ideas of like where authors get ideas from and uh, how, you know, explo- as you say, ex- exploiting family members when you're kind of rehashing their own experiences and sort of putting them into an, a different context and also about like PTSD and A.A. Um, uh, a. Milne basically essentially being driven by his kind of terrible experiences fighting in, in World War I um, and rendering it in maybe... The most vanilla fashion imaginable. Mm. I mean, it's a real shame how kind of boringly this film has been rendered. Really, this you know really fascinating and rich story. Mm. Um, uh, so you, you have uh, Donald Gleeson do, doing a kind of like I I think straining to sort of keep his kind of posh clipped. accent clipped mm. accent going as A. a. Milne and. When he speaks, you hear him. You hear his accent. I mean, it's one of these performances where I think that there's so much psychological effort going on to maintaining the accent that you kind of lose any kind of depth and emotion in what he's actually saying. What just, did you What did you make of his wife, Daphne, played by Margot Robbie? And a curious casting decision, indeed. Curious, indeed. Yeah, uh, I, I similar thing. Mm. I mean, it was very much a kind of her headspace probably wasn't in the kind of emotion of. Uh, You know, it wasn't able to sort of grapple with the bigger ideas of the character or give the character any depth because there was so much time doing that kind of cosmetic. um, Although I I must admit, I did think that maybe the script had a bit to do with that. It did.
2: It was a little bit two dimensional, the portrayal of of the character. Doesn't sound like you enjoyed it
4: too much then it was a bit boring i mean it it, it was it, it was very uh, it's quite slow and and careful and and it has this kind of very sort of british prestige vibe that you can imagine it going on to win like baftas or something and you know the direction is not that exciting i mean it, it doesn't really there seems to be like so much possibility in the sort of this idea of like this crossover of worlds uh between like reality and fiction and it hmm. doesn't re- the direction doesn't really do anything there
2: are a few half handed stabs at kind of magic realism and, and that kind of thing uh, are, are you a fan or were you a fan
4: of Winnie the Pooh and his adventures I've, he, I the I, books I've, I must say I think I was read them as a kid okay. but didn't really have Kind of abiding interest in them beyond. Right. I, I think I was more interested in Wind in the Willows, to be honest. Really, okay. I think they're kind of rivals in a way.
2: I don't think that no? Wind in the Willows quite reaches the level of Winnie the Pooh in terms of worldwide popularity, and and also perhaps the, the place that it has the original books in, in a lot of people's hearts. I myself a massive. I really love Winnie the Pooh, and I'm slightly concerned at how much this film will color any potential. In, not that I go back and reread them every week, but they're just Why so. Not? <laughs> yeah, no. They, I mean, they're such beautifully told stories. And they are. They're, they're, they're absolutely lovely. So uh, it's sad in a way to see to see this kind of context to their creation. But Elena, I don't know where you stand on Winnie the Pooh, but how did you feel about this film?
3: Um, well, I mean, I'm not very, very familiar with the stories of Winnie the Pooh. Like uh, all my friends from here, I've read them and they like know them by heart and stuff. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But um, i think been. That th-
4: was that just a? Fr- do you think that's a French?
3: Yeah, thing? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's a French thing. I feel like people here, um, as as a, as kids, they read much, much more. There's more of a, like literature for kids, or maybe that's just me. But that's really the impression I get. And but they told me about the stories, and apparently they're quite like in a way brutal. And like sad and like what well, Winnie the Pooh, but inspiring. But like there's some like
2: no, no, I don't think so. Unless I've misread them dramatically. Oh, okay. Well, they're, they're very they were gentle. Kind of, I thought they were kind of melancholy. Yeah, there but, are like, melancholy sad, bits like. at the end when, when I think when Christopher Robin grows up. But by and large, they're 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 tremendously gentle. I think. Yeah, but
3: I mean like gentle, but like. Not not like kid like not like oh everything's Re- great whatever uh, I mean, that's what I've heard I don't
2: know no I'm not not sure what what did you think of the film so you have a different perspective not knowing the the, the story so much um, which I guess takes away some of the immediate mm. interest in the story what, what did you make of the film though
3: um, well I thought I mean it is an amazing story of how this this character came into being and I would love to see like a really like eighteen rated version of that of that movie because I mean he was in the war and he was completely traumatized by that and that's where this teddy bear character came from oh not this bear character came from and I mean it's it's like this contrast is like very very interesting but the movie like tries to make it really palatable and in a very um in a very like kind of boring and like uh Clumsy way, mm. and it feels it feels really clumsy watching it. you feel it 's going in those directions, you think it 's going to go somewhere and it doesn 't and, yeah. and you feel why and' like, oh, if you 're trying to be safe, and it 's just such a shame
2: okay i must admit, i wasn 't bored by it. I am you know was a big poof fan, but there is so much in the story that I, I thought was interesting what i wasn 't so comfortable with with was as you say, the way that the film shifts from being one thing and then moving to another. For example that post-traumatic stress disorder which it takes quite seriously to begin with and it's an interesting aspect of Milne's story but then when we get to the kind of middle bit where everything's rosy and idyllic in the hundred acre wood, it's they cure it by popping balloons, which um, well, there's a bit of oh, yeah. moving the goalposts. And this particularly applies to what is the, the whole kind of impetus for the film, which is you love the stories, but what did it do to Milne's own son, Christopher Robin? And the film veers wildly in its kind of second half. Uh, between how it's depicting this was milne this figure who kind of pimped his his boy's childhood or was he actually somebody who found inspiration in it to bring joy to millions at a dark time in human history and the film kind of says one thing you can't really make up its mind which the truth is which left me a bit but i'm still a bit bewildered by the film i wouldn't wouldn't say don't go and see it but
4: it, it's certainly not i don't think wildly successful i mean oh, totally i mean it's one of these films i think that There's too much of a trivia element to it, too. As you say, this idea of him, like, you know, dealing with his deep trauma by doing something very simple. It's very kind of pop triviary. And, like, Mm. there's loads of these little bits that kind of, oh, you ever wondered why Winnie the Pooh's called Winnie the Pooh? Well, we're going to tell you kind of Mm. thing. You know, ever wondered why the Hundred Acre Woods' called that? And, you know, why Eeyore's called Eeyore? And it's like, it kind of goes through this kind of very, like, bang, 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 bang. One one other thing is to say as well. I mean, just sort of looping back to my um, to sort of talking about the the, ac- the actors in the film, um, the the kid who's playing Christopher Robin himself, uh, Will, Will Tilson Will Tilson It's his first ever screen role, I understand, and I mean he's, I di- I mean. Fair game to him and everything. He, you know, the, he. I think he's, try, he's trying hard and he's probably do, doing his best. But I, I found, as a screen presence, I found him rather shrill and grating. And every like he, he refers. Uh, well, in fact, one of the, what, the the best performance in the film for me by quite a, a margin. And in fact, to the point where the I was bear, thinking, yeah? <laughs> not quite the bear. The bear isn't in it actually. No. Um, to the point where I was thinking, I kind of wish that this film had been told from her perspective. Right. His his nanny, played by Kelly MacDonald, who is doing her own accent and thus can actually it has the freedom to to sort of perform naturally. And she right. and she's she's brilliant in the film. But
2: she's also the one character in the film who's kind of beyond Billy. The, the well, Christopher Robin, as, as he's also known, um, who's kind of in touch with her own emotional landscape and as such does have a, a kind of freedom of expression because uh, daphne the, the the mother and, 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 and blue a milne certainly don't she's terrific isn't she um poor old uh, will tilston he's very good i just thought he was kind of miscast because the, christopher robin certainly in the books is a, a androgynous waif type figure whereas he seems i don't know if you ever saw that hideous youtube video about a boy and his kazoo um, oh God! Yeah, it, it just seemed that like he should be s- selling some kind of breakfast cereal on American TV or something. Yeah,
4: no, I mean, it, every, but he, I thought he was good, just not necessarily. No, right. I mean, yeah, it, he refers to the to the to the nanny as new, yes, and he refers to to, to his father as blue, and then he's and got a bear called Pooh, right? Mm-hmm. And to, and and just to hear it, I mean, he screams those words over and over, mm. pretty much every scene. <laughs> you come out with the, with the words new like ringing in your ears right. as you're leaving the cinema and uh, that's not a i can't
2: thing, wait though. for your scores david you mentioned pop trivia let me throw this at you cotchford farm the rather splendid uh, rustic seat where milne moved his family to try and cope with the ptsd and ended up writing uh house at put corner and when we were six and now we are six and all that was also the last home of rolling stones founder brian jones it's the location where he drowned in his swimming pool
3: um that's, that's a nice on date. july
2: the third, nineteen sixty nine. that seems apt. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. All right. <laughs> Elena, um has David been entirely fair about this film or do you agree with him?
3: Um yeah, I think so. But I think most of the problems with the actors are really in the script. Like right. the characters don't really make sense. Like they don't feel like real people at all. Even even Christopher Robin who's like should be the one they pay more attention to. But except the nanny, of course. I think the nanny was like the closest to reality. So yeah, I think I, I basically agree with you. Okay. That.
2: What 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 numbers would you give this?
3: Um anticipation. <laughs> maybe free to be generous. Mm, okay. Because I I also don't really like uh don't listen. I have a thing. Do you not? I, I don't. I he's think he had, in everything, so that's a real problem. I know, but that's the thing. I don't think he's really casting stuff that, that really works for him. Have you not enjoyed him ever? Too hard in every single film I've seen him. Right. Even the Ex Machina, I was like, why? Why is he trying so hard? But maybe I don't know. I think maybe he's not. Yeah. And in this movie, especially because you have those really close-ups on his face, and he's like, he's just really acting so hard, and you're like, well, just relax a little bit. I don't know. That's just May he my say, thing.
2: That maybe is his character. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, maybe.
3: Mm. Yeah, so anticipation, I guess, free because it's a story I've, I know is interesting but I haven't heard of before. Mm. Enjoyment, I have to say, too, because I was trying not to, like, kind of laugh at the way it was made <laughs> at the beginning, like the shots and, like, the way it was trying to do the things about the PTSD was just, like, so not okay and like, segwaying it, between it's like very movie mm. representation of PTSD and just like well that, I'm sure that's not how it works like you can't just like pop balloons and then you're gonna be fine and yeah. I wish it had been a more realistic pre- representation of that because it's not something we actually see that much in movies and to put it in a family movie would have been really amazing
2: mm. okay and
3: now well probably well between two and three because right. it's less bad than I think about it but
4: yeah. okay David? I, I'd probably go for similar scores yeah, yeah. like I mean uh, yeah, I, I you know, I was open to it going either way, and then so three, and then seeing seeing it was I, I I was very kind of I was a bit moody when when I was watching it. Was right, they were just, was just uh, you know before it, you went in, or the film made during, you moody, dur- right? Actually, during because because it, it it just seemed it everything just seemed so flat and mannered, and um the as I was watching it, as the as the as the story got more interesting. And it kind of still retained that kind of quite sort of dull, polite, vanilla sheen. Mm. It, it was it, it kind of irked me even more. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, in, in retrospect, I think maybe it probably is a three because I think I think there is.
1: It's, I there, thought it was
4: an interesting film. Yeah. Absolutely, I think there is an interesting. The concept is so interesting that you know even even all these elements haven't quite ruined it, which is well, that's nice. Um, yeah, for me, okay.
2: I would say my anticipation was low, like a two or something. Um, I'm not sure. It might be a two and a half and a three and probably still the same now. I mean, I still can't quite work out. I'm sure there are some bits of it 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 got right, but there were plainly a lot of bits it got wrong. That that, uh, boarding school stairway montage to represent (laughs) an utterly crucial part of Christopher Robin's kind of adolescence and the way he responds to the predicament that his father's success has put him in, I thought was incredibly lib but hey what do i know uh, anyway all right so yeah it's, uh, you could go and see it but i you might be better off just going out and digging out house at Pooh corner now we are six and all that kind of thing because they are absolutely splendid books and one thing i would hate is if the enjoyment the innocence of those books was in any way spoiled by all of this unpleasantness <laughs> anyway hey speaking of unpleasantness after this it's daphne Daphne, flame-haired chef Emily Beecham, tries to ignore life and death but neither seems keen on going away. That's my praise of this film, Elena. What do you think? Uh,
3: Well, yeah, that's an accurate description of the plot, pretty much. Um, So in the film, Daphne is a redhead woman living in London and uh, she's, I think she says she's 31 and um, she's quite an unconventional character for movies like she doesn't really have exactly her life together and she likes sleeping around with various men without necessarily having a relationship and she has a job where she's, she's working really hard but like it's like a job in a restaurant like she doesn't really aim she doesn't seem to be aiming for a career mm. and then she witnesses a horrible accident and that's kind of the tipping point for her where she starts um, kind of questioning everything in her life
4: Does she, though?
3: Pretty much. Do you think... Well, she try. I mean, she doesn't until she has to.
4: Right, okay, yeah, fair. I think that that question is the key to the film. Okay. Does she or doesn't she? Right. Now, in your
2: review, David, in Little White Lies, it is a film, your reaction to which is going to come down a lot on how you take to uh, Emily Beecham as Daphne.
4: Yeah, and I think that's definitely uh, meant to be a kind of positive. I mean, she is... In tonally speaking she's like very ambiguous I, I really like the fact that the way she's written she's not there's there's not a kind of easy binary decision between she's bad she's good and she just kind of runs this kind of gamut between she does some good things she does some bad things she's confused she's she has direction one moment she doesn't the next moment you you can you know she, she she's not overly analytical about her own life which i think movies tend to be very obsessed with this idea of like seeing people thinking mm. about about decisions and and you, you can tell oh yeah i'm going to do this now and that's going to lead me to here and like this film does this, I think, really difficult thing of like making sure that you don't see what she's thinking. She does all these things, but you don't necessarily—you're not in her head, right? And that actually is what—that's the kind of essence of the drama. Right?
2: More, uh, we'll react to that a little bit later on. Elena, did you do you know people like uh, Daphne?
3: Um kind of like her but that's that's kind of the problem actually i had with the movie i didn't find i wasn't exactly convinced by the character like if you read what she's doing i'm like yeah definitely there are people who do that but the way it was put in the movie i just it didn't really ring true and Mm -hmm. i think also a, a problem i had with the movie is that obviously it's set in london and it's like supposed to be clearly a london movie just like this is what young women this was some young women uh, experience living in London but it I felt so I didn't recognize much of that London life mm. apart from like the shops and stuff it's just like if you're going to make a movie in London I think it's very very important to precise which part of London because every single part of London is so different and it felt to me like someone I don't know it just felt like
2: generically like metropolitan kind of,
3: yeah kind of like a movie representation of what london is like okay
4: it did look lovely london oh yeah. yeah i mean it
3: looked great the I, film w- does I wish l- it was
4: like that I, <laughs> I, I would actually i would actually say that that was actually one of the things i really liked about the film <laughs> the kind of anonymity of the setting um it does yeah it does kind of have this very sort of twinkling twilight I mean it's not like Woody Allen's Manhattan where you kind of have (laughs) like things happening in front of the Brooklyn Bridge and stuff like that but it is kind of anonymous and, and one of the one thing I yeah I really don't like about London movies is when like you have a kind of um, like travelogue yeah you have a kind of exposition shot of like a red telephone box and a, and, oh, and a, well, a yeah. beef eater no, that would be horrible yeah but like and even now you you know you so many London films have like the Gherkin and, and like Waterloo Bridge because they're like the sort of acceptable cool mm. face of London now. Well, mm. one
3: thing in movies a lot that I notice is that they always have a scene on the South Bank where people have coffee there I'm like who goes to the <laughs> South Bank for coffee it's like really hard to get to it's really funny
4: but but no, I I, I really like the fact that it was just this kind of quite spare. It was just like walkways up to um, housing housing blocks and estates and like quite empty suburban roads and yeah. um, and these kind of small sort of centres and shops and things and you know mis- miscellaneous kind of clubbing area as well. I I, I, re- I really like that kind of this idea that she's kind of you know. When you're in London, you're like not thinking about London. You know, you're mm-hmm. it's you don't you don't have this kind of idea like, oh my god, I'm in London. It's so romantic. Actually, like you, you know, when, when you're living your life and you have all these issues, the setting almost becomes completely de-romanticised. You don't care what's out there. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's just anonymous stuff. You know. So
2: okay, here's my issue with this
4: film. Go on.
2: Uh, well, you were you talking about the fact that uh, Daphne? We don't really know that the, the film's not pointing us to what she's thinking when she makes her decision, also because she's got this defiant um persona of kind of can't be askedness. in fact, she even says that "I can't be asked," but at the same time, she does want to be a bit philosophical because every time you see her in conversation <laughs> with somebody, she's coming out with all her really intense theories about what love actually is and how it's such a big um, it's a big illusion, and she's reading her how do you pronounce that guy's name?
3: Slavoj Žižek, which they, she pronounces Slavoj Žižek. Right, but uh, it should be. Fi- she's like correcting someone saying it's Slavoj Žižek, and I'm like no it's Slavoj
2: Žižek. Okay. But
3: um so, I think that might be on purpose as David told me. <laughs>
4: right. <laughs> I didn't tell you anything. I, I I jokingly said maybe that's the that's a joke. Yeah. Uh, right. She's correcting be. someone incorrectly. Right. Yeah. That, that would be very would London, be very, wouldn't it? That would be very London, very on character. That's true. Right. But yeah, no, I I think all these I think it do- it's doing all these things where it sort of shows her pretensions. Right, so. but for me, the film
2: it kind of does the same thing in the sense that it has this kind of studied, I'm not going to go out my way for you, viewer. Like, you know, a lot of films, they kind of start with something big or they end with something big or there's a definite kind of sweep to them or there's a movement to them. But this is a film that you kind of drop in on the story almost midway. You could have started the next day or the day after. I know there is this one event that mm. s- may or may not trigger a big change in her. I think probably does a bit. But the film almost is kind of, well, you can watch this if you like, or not, I'm not going to go out of my way to... Mm. But at the same time, it does want to kind of... Also because you're not really drawn to her as a character, at least I wasn't, it's quite hard to uh, get excited when the film then hints at there being some deeper change. And it, for me, it was a hint. I don't think the film really justifies this notion that that it examines her kind of... Her path towards some kind of self-discovery. Mm,
3: I agree that the movie like doesn't really decide what it's doing in the way you're saying because uh, that's why I wanted her, her to be more specific and like more of a real person because I feel the movie is like, oh, she's just a special like an example of a special person who lives in London. But at the same time, she's not really specific. She could be living anywhere in London, and she's like, she's got some characteristic, but she doesn't feel like a real person exactly. Hmm. And at the same time, you have a story that's just something that happens, and at the same time, maybe it's a big story about life and the meaning of life and death. And I, I just, I really wanted to be to decide, and I felt a bit cheated on when it tried to be about like oh the meaning of life, and I right. was I was just like not convinced. By by the way, tried to do both. And so like, so on
2: one level, it wants to be a film just about ordinary life, where things are never earth-shaking and things where, just where plow it's like, on. It's
3: like making a point of not being about anything. Yeah. but, but at then at the end, it, end it wants
2: to, right? Yeah, and,
3: I, I, and it really annoyed me. And but it, it really reminded me of this other film about a redhead woman. Uh, unusual but this time living in Paris called Jeune Femme oh, yeah. uh, which is at the LFF and I think it's gonna come out and it's exactly like the opposite of this is like it's just about her and she's very very specific like you've literally never probably never met someone like this mm-hmm. but she's also really normal and it's not about anything really All right and Jeune that's the femme. beauty of it Jeune Femme as in like young woman yeah, in yeah okay. and and I was just really frustrated I wish the movie had like more I think it's probably, as you say, David, like on purpose. But I wish it had more confidence to just not be about anything.
4: I think it's interesting talking about this after having talked about Christopher Robin and this idea of its kind of quite basic treatment of PTSD. Which I think this is like the complete other side. This is mm-hmm. like a really complex, awkward, unfathomable dealing of, of, of PTSD and how, a how and how someone reacts to a to a trauma. Um and yeah I I think this film actually is a bit more like um and and this would this would have been a great film club actually to do this week um the, the film Margaret by Kenneth Lonergan, um which was a kind of incredible film which got absolutely like decimated by the studios and and was ended up being released in London on one screen um and it was this kind of like Sprawling masterpiece, um, and it's a very similar idea. It's a kind of young entitled woman in New York who witnesses something, and and that is, you know, that's the kind of pivot in her life. This is a bit like a London London riff on that. But um, I mean, I you know, I don't think this film is perfect. I think one one of the issues that I had with it is that I thought Emily Beecham's performance was it, it was yeah, so good and brilliant. and actually. Um, and even though I, I started off not quite liking it, but actually got to a point where i where I was like, this is actually really technically amazing, sustained performance. Where in like you know subtle alienation, one of the things I didn't di- didn't like though was I think other characters in the film, especially the men that she meets, the dialogue there. We haven't mentioned the director Pete Mackey Burns. This mm-hmm. is, this is his first film. He's written and directed it. I felt some of the dialogue that she has with other people. You know, when she's talking about Zizek, Zizek, Zizek. Zizek. <laughs> it did feel a bit like you're listening to to a script being read mm. rather than like people having a, a conversation or like people sort of feigning that kind of mm. very loose conversational style. And, it, and it, it did kind of take you a bit out of it.
3: Mm. And I do understand why all the men she randomly speaks to are just really, really nice like that's not my experience of london <laughs> at all and she speaks on people on the on the bus and i'm just like i would never i mean you speak someone on the bus in london like they just look at you like what are you doing i don't know it's just like all the men she meets are just really nice and articulate and have real ideas of what they're doing and she doesn't it kind of it just it's a shame because she is amazing the actress mm. she's like giving an amazing performance real subtlety and tr- and the trauma she experiences the the is really tr- rings true but like most of the things don't really
2: Right. Also, the mother's a bit of a cliche as well. I'm not going to go into why, but that mother figure yeah. and what's going on with her. Great from Geraldine James, who is slowly morphing into Vanessa Redgrave, which is not necessarily <laughs> a bad thing. I thought it was Vanessa Redgrave <laughs> until, you can... <laughs> until the credits, I've got to say. Really? My bad, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, she's good, and uh, Emily Beecham's great. And give us some numbers, there, Elena. Uh,
3: well, anticipation, I would say like three or four, something, because mm-hmm. I heard really good things. Uh, enjoyment, I would say three because uh, even though I had some reservation, I it was pretty, like pretty enjoyable, and the performance is great, and it's nice to see London always. Right. And um, in retrospect, I would I would be free because yeah, I have quite a few reservations, and I was actually a bit disappointed from what I would- was told. But um, I think people should see it. Okay. I think it's like there's not much many movies like it.
2: No, that's fair. I'm not, apart from Margaret. Yeah, no. Um.
3: <laughs> well, it's not I mean, it's like, pretty different. It's about half the length <laughs> yeah,
4: as yes. well. So. Yes. If yeah. <laughs> yeah. you want to see
3: Margaret, was shorter.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I go for similar similar scores, um, and then it's actually one that I I think thinking about it afterwards and sort of processing it and actually really appreciating that it was at, that that this is a film that's doing something a little bit sort of off key hmm. and subtle. That I think I only I think that's something you get after seeing it and 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 sort of processing the the thing as a whole. So I think it's like four four three four for me. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah, I was. I, I, it's it's a film that I I actually think that even though yeah watching it I I did have there were elements that kind of li- little things that irked me about it and I was think and there was a sort of like wow, this this could have been incredible. You know, the, the, a few little kind of subtle tweaks and this could have been, like, you know, really great. But just didn't... In the moment, there was, it, it, you know... You're were, you were like, where is this going? What's this doing? Um, but, yeah, in retrospect... I think I'd I really would like to see again. Okay, I would say that
2: I didn't know anything about it beforehand, so I don't know what kind of anticipation figure I could give it at the time. I like the fact that it is very different, as you say, Elena, to anything else out there, and I, and it looks fabulous yeah. and really does look great. Um, but afterwards, uh, I would rather go back and watch Goodbye Christopher Robin again than this <coughs> because I, I, I salute what the director is <laughs> trying to. No, because I, I, you know, with all its faults, I, there was still enough. To keep me entertaining Chris Robin with this, it was so studiedly can't be asked, I think, mirroring many ways the, the, the character's own kind of position that I just got, I found it hard to really connect with it. But, you know, very nice in many ways, technically, a piece of, of filmmaking.
0: Hey, everyone. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Next up, let's have a look at a film which has inspired passion for decades now. John Hughes, Pretty in Pink. Oh,
0: you know everything now, huh? You're 18, and you've got a scholarship, and uh, you're uh, grown up and free, and I'm just an ignorant son of a bitch that never gave you anything. I never asked for anything. Oh, that's brilliant. Why can't you just forget her? It's late. You got school. No, don't walk out on this. Will you please just listen to me? Please? I've already been through this, Andy. Sure, you go through it every day. You're still going through it. Why can't you just realize that she's gone and she's not going to come back? She's never coming back! Shut up! Get it? Why it. can't you accept it? She's
1: just gone! She... Why can't you accept it?
0: Because... I love her, that's why. Well, I loved her too, you know. She just didn't love us back.
2: Harry Dean Stanton and Molly Ringwald in John Hughes' seminal teen movie. Uh, Andy is one of the not-so-popular girls in high school. Ducky's always had a crush on her, but now she's met a new guy at school, Blaine, one of the rich and popular guys. Can the two worlds meet? Should I admit that I didn't make it to the end of this film?
4: Yes. Okay,
2: lots of people did, though. Should we get their reactions?
4: Yeah, let's. Elena? Um...
3: Uh, quite a few people on the Facebook page said that it's a classic that they watch quite often. Really? Which is testament to its importance in history. Someone said, It still hurts that John Hughes is dead. So many of his films speak to me. Pretty in Pink and Ferris Bueller's Day Off were among my favourites as a teen. Karen duvall Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I agree. I think Ferris Bueller is actually even better. Mm. Um,
2: well, I've seen that one all the way through. But I saw it at the, at the time, and I wonder if I'd seen Pretty in Pink at the time that it might speak to me in a way that watching it in 2017 it really doesn't
4: david yeah no it's an it's an interesting one should should i read read out some more comments Declan beeson unlike a lot of 80s classics it left it left me a little cold though molly ringwald in her heyday can make any film a little brighter is that a bizarre crush oh no ian schultz great except the ending which he fixed with my fave some kind of wonderful um james wardo a classic of its era best left to nostalgia uh darren lockwood a classic simple as that hmm so um, here's zalal
2: this was a defining movie for me i was 12 when it came out and i was a bit left of center and an oddball because i like punk and mod fashion strange for 1986 in a southern american town well, yeah i can imagine so yeah you can see how john hughes in his kind of mainstream way did kind of give some kind of outlet some some means of identification for people who didn't fit into the mainstream uh, but as i say I, d- I was i was away in sunny london and uh, and oblivious to all this in 1986 i was listening to the smiths and stuff
4: were you not listening to omd
2: omd okay. i mean I, I listened to omd but a bit before that omd were earlier in the 80s than ah, 86 and Really. psychedelic
4: furs were they uh...
2: i never i never really dug the psychedelic furs although it's an interesting thing and i really didn't realize this um their song came first. Yeah. Molly Ringwald asked John Hughes to write the movie based on the song "Pretty in Pink" because it was her favourite movie at the time. Did you know that? Yeah, I did not know that. All right, well there you go. I got as far- I was watching it, and I got as far as the scene in the library where Molly Ringwald's doing her homework <laughs> and she gets cyberstalked by Andrew McCarthy, who somehow, despite the fact that these are nineteen eighties little green digits on black screen computers, manages to. Um, hack into her thing and, and, and do a series of impossibly
4: perfect screen reveals. And I, I thought, oh. yeah. yeah, at the beautiful. time. But that makes the film work now, doesn't it? It, it makes it, it gives it a <laughs> it Makes it more quality. relatable yeah. for us. <laughs> right. I mean, it's
2: basically an incredibly early version of Tinder. There's her picture yeah. and and his. But I just thought, wow, this is 1980s John Hughesism. Fine if you were there at the time, but I, I
3: yeah. Uh, that didn't what what did I
2: miss then? What did I miss?
3: Well, you missed the ending.
2: What happens at the end?
3: Well, do you, should, yeah, I don't tell think it's me. a spoiler, right? No. Because it's a film club. Right. So at the end, it's the big question of the movie is, is she going to end up with uh, Ducky? Okay. The, the, the kind of unpopular guy. Hmm. Or with uh, Blaine, right. Andrew McCarthy, who's a beautiful but rich. And she ends up with Blaine and Ducky's really cool about it, which is unlike him. Okay, so that was
2: my other issue with the early part of this film. Because she's cast as this alternative figure you know, this uh, no-labels kind of uh, maverick at this high school. But she ends up dating the rich guy. And there's an early scene where she's driving Ducky home through this incredibly rich, very John hughes suburb where all the houses are enormous mansions. And she says, oh, yeah, that one's my favourite, which is kind of a weird position for some kind of alternative teenager to have. It just didn't seem that alternative.
3: I think the movie's trying to say that she's attracted to those houses on like an aesthetic level because right. she's obsessed with fashion as you can see and she makes her own clothes and stuff. Yeah. And but she just thinks really... they're really pretty. Okay. I agree with you, I don't think it really works. I think if you're someone like her and you live quite not poor but like not not rich, hmm. you I would be quite like not attracted by this.
2: Absolutely. Can I, can I ask about Harry Dean Stanton who was the, the reason for us um, dusting this one off for Film Club this week his, his uh, sad death last was it last week or the week before but anyway and when we did our live show somebody said this was perhaps their favourite Harry Dean Stanton performance which is a big shout. What do you think of him as the dad in this movie?
3: Uh, I think he's great. I think he brings a weird... I don't even know if it's realism because it's such a strange performance. He's just being Harry Dean Stanton. Right. So he's like, he says things like he doesn't care, but his character really cares and he's actually really loving. He's the, he's a father of Molly Ringwald's character and he's just really trusting to, of her. And he plays this guy who's like kind of lazy and doesn't want to get a job and he's still mourning that he the, the departure of his wife, even though he's like a dad, he's like an adult. And his performance is like really... the best in the movie he's just like playing it with such a so casually but so it's so powerful to to just see him so natural
4: Mm. yeah no i totally agree i mean the bit where he's like you know walking around in his like robe and feeding like breakfast food to the dog and it it just it feels like he's kind of living the character and yeah it's it's a very kind of i mean yeah this scene that in the clip is like a super kind of sentimental almost kind of it almost feels like it's kind of mocking soap opera conventions. Mm-hmm. How kind of OTT it is. Like I miss mom. I miss your mom. I can't. I, I'm totally. You know, I can't do anything else because because I because I miss her. And it, yeah, it's, it's a bit over the top. But the way he plays it feels so natural, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it, it gives it this kind of real lived in credibility.
3: And you and I think that's one of those uh, John Hughes scenes that he does that John Hughes like did best, which is a, a scene where you have all these characters doing things like every day. And then there's a scene where they literally say the main like uh, issue they have. And this is, like, it's just very vivid. Like, in The Breakfast Club, that's what it is. It's, like, people in together.
2: There's another film I haven't seen.
3: Oh, man, you need to see it.
2: Breakfast Club. What yeah. about St. Elmo's Fire? Have I got to watch I that as seen well? that one. Okay. What's your favourite John Hughes film?
3: Well, I've not seen many, but I think... I mean, last time I checked, yeah. The Breakfast Club was still great. Okay. I didn't really like Pretty in Pink, but uh, I really like The Breakfast Club.
2: Right. But Home Alone is also out there. First Bueller's
4: Day Off. Home Alone's mine. Home Home Alone the first not say the second or the third do you know what that's very strange because i i like the f- i would say the first one i I'm, i can't remember if he directed the second one but there is a school of criticism that says the second one is actually superior what, in new york yeah 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 lost in new york? york yeah okay uh, i mean it's got
2: tim curry in it yeah yeah and, and, and donald, donald trump. trump indeed yeah good, good lord, lord i'd forgotten that. Um, um, Right. Okay. I'd say probably Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Although I would hate to think how badly that has aged now. I hate Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I can't stand it. <laughs> well, that's a, really, that's yeah. a good reason
4: for me, David. Given yeah. how you and I stand on other favourite mm. films, the, the, this film actually was kind of weird seeing this because um, my my current my wife my current <laughs> wife. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to be too. too you know, yeah. she might she might have left me by the time yeah. this the podcast, this is, podcast is, is, is released. I don't want to be presumptuous there, but. Um, when we when we sort of first started dating, oh, yeah. I was like this kind of like filmy nerd type, mm. and I would I think I would sort of insist, oh, let's watch Rushmore, let's watch Miller's Crossing, and mm. all these kind of films, and and uh, and then I, and I was like, I I think it, I got to a point where I sort of relented and like, oh, let's watch your favourite films, and she was like, oh, I you know I'm a big fan of Pretty in Pink. I remember us watching it. And it be like me sort of scoffing, going, Oh, this is just like, you know, quaint, silly teen movie rubbish and uh I'm I'm all about the Darren Aronofsky and all that <laughs> kind of stuff and uh and yeah, so last night I rewatched it and uh uh not with her actually. She mm. she was she was she was out, out so she couldn't watch it and and I felt very sort of nostalgic while watching it, um, about and, and, and actually felt that it was much better than I I felt bad because I thought I'm. I'm. I, I. like this, and I see its value now much more than I did back then when I was a kind of spotty little oik. You've been on a journey, haven't you? Indeed. Yeah. No, <coughs> this, right. this, is, this is some kind of uh, yeah, psychological. Your, your release character arc me. has reached something yeah, like it's pre. It's it's that kind of. The two viewings of This is fair. why
2: it's important that we discover which of the films that you slated when you worked to Time Out. But you'll work on that, and <laughs> next week or when you're back ne- next time, we can we'll no, talk about that. It will never be revealed. What else are we talking about next week? Now, there's been a, an, an impassioned plea here from Paul Thompson of Storm Cell TV, who talks about the time in 2005 he went to the Lunar Cinema in Fremantle, Australia to watch The Proposition. An amazing cast, as he mentions Ray Winston, John Hurt, Emily Watson, Guy Pierce, Danny Houston. Noah Taylor, amongst others, a scorched flybone, fly-blown Outback, a simple premise and a nerve-grinding soundtrack, courtesy of Nick Cave. Says Paul, I love this film and have seen it many times. I'm always amazed that so few people I know have seen it or heard of it. I think a film that deserves this platform more doesn't exist. The platform being Film Club, so that's something we should definitely put in the uh, in the bank of contenders for future Film Clubs. What what have you got down for next week?
4: Well, next week I think. 'Cause next week we're going to be covering a film called Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Mm. Which I for some it. for some reason I keep calling Blade Runner twenty forty-eight. That's I, is I very don't know strange. why. That is very strange. I'm one year out. Um, yeah. um so, uh, so we've decided to do a little kind of Philip K. Dick homage. All right. Um the initial the initial thought was was a film called uh, Megaville. Megaville. From nineteen ninety starring Billy Zane. Uh, well, I'm in. about uh, a world where entertainment is outlawed. Isn't it a film where there are two hemispheres
2: oh, yes. and a man from the hemisphere where entertainment is outlawed is sent to the other side? Almost in a kind of weird analogy for Billy Zane's presence in the film.
4: Indeed. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think for, for those wanting to do deep research, maybe they could watch that. Is it? A, I've never heard of this before. I mean, it's 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 one of those, like... You see it on in the video shop in in they the don't late eighties. Oh, I see. Sorry, man. And and you'd never buy it. I think. Mean, Me- I think. What's I, it da- called? It's called Megaville. Megaville. I think if anyone has any <laughs> and wants to write in about Megaville if they've right. seen it and you know it, it, it might be a lost classic, do do let us know. Okay. But just to to reaffirm, we're not talking about Megaville. Not Megaville. But what we are talking about, right, is Richard Linklater's 2006 film, A Scanner Darkly. Ooh. Have you seen this, Elena? No, I have not. Oh, it's a treat. He did two...
2: There was a pair of films that he did via the medium of rotoscoping. There was this and This Waking Life, or A Waking Life. Just Waking Life. Oh, (laughs) Waking Life. Yes. Which was... What I thought was a,
4: a wonderful trip of a movie. Oh, I love, I love, I think Waking Life's probably my favourite. Waking Life and Slacker, I love all his kind of picaresque movies that mm. just sort of like daisy chaining together these kind of weird ideas. Mm. And that, I lo- that For me, they're his, my favourite type of Richard Linklater.
2: Movie. Although with Waking Life, he's very much going somewhere. Indeed. With it. Um, but anyway, this is the the other one, A Scanner Darkly, which I do remember enjoying and I'm looking forward to going back and revisiting, especially given the great cast
4: who's in it. Keanu Reeves, um, Woody Harrelson oh. and uh, Robert Downey Daniel- Jr. Yeah, Sorry. nice. All right. Uh, well yeah, you watch that
2: and let us know your thoughts at Truth and Movies at tco.london.com or at Little White Lies or on the Facebook page. But there's also some big releases, of course, uh, the, the the big one being Blade Runner 2049, uh, which uh, is long, but eagerly anticipated. And some of the hot takes that have already emerged seem quite positive.
4: So we'll see what we think next week. And what are we accompanying that with? Uh, we're going to be watching a, a doc called The Reagan Show. Oh, yeah. About, uh, I think, Ronald Reagan and his kind of uh, relationship with the media.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. This is part of this kind of ongoing rehabilitation of of. of republican figures from the 80s and 90s we've seen this with george bush who has been doing the talk show circuit i think largely on the basis that they're not the current fellow. exactly yeah,
4: yeah. he makes everyone else i think everyone else is now rubbing their hands thinking <laughs> i'm 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 exonerated from all my sins
2: uh, that wraps it up pretty much for this edition of
4: truth and movies but what do you guys anything you want to throw in before Oh, we- yes I, I would love to throw in a very little thing just t- to uh divert people oh. who haven't maybe seen it already to oh. our Facebook and YouTube channels because we have uh, got this great uh, new video that we we're running ahead of um, Blade Runner uh, by a amazing Portuguese vi- uh, sort of um, video essayist called Luis Azevedo every that, frame a picture no it's sim- similar style to that, but ah. it's, 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 a, it's a really lovely essay on uh, AI in movies. Oh, right. Uh, riffing, riffing mainly off of... Did he um, do the one about Christopher Nolan he, and his approach to timekeeping? He did, yes. Right, okay. That so, was very good. Um, yeah, we've, we've got another one by then, So uh, by him, and it's great. And That's it, out we invite, there now, is it's it? It's out there right now. We on invite you to h-
2: have a look. Little White Lies Facebook page yep. and YouTube channel. Yeah. Okay. Elena, what are you excited about?
3: Uh, I'm excited about the LFF.
2: The London Film Festival. Exactly. Which starts uh, in a week's time
3: Yes, exactly And there uh, are of movies uh, That I'm looking forward to
2: What in particular?
3: Well, there are some That I can recommend That I've already seen mm-hmm. um, I would recommend Seeing The Rider Which is a movie about uh, Cowboys And uh, masculinity Oh, nice Which is a favourite theme Obviously for movies um, Then um, I recommend uh, Seeing BPM The French movie About Act Up So the ni- in the 90s uh, People trying to get to fight for the rights of uh, gay men mm-hmm. and uh, another one i recommend i uh, don't know what do you think david
4: well the what the film i'm looking forward to the most is called zama which which which, uh, yes. which is by by an argentinian director lucretia martel and uh yeah i haven't seen it but you have and
3: i have and it's great
4: is it and it's called what zama zama yeah. Z- all right what's Z- it about
3: A-A-M-A. it's about a, a man called zama ah. uh, in the 18th century i think and he's a um, spanish uh colonial officer uh-huh. uh stuck in what is now paraguay and trying to get home but obviously it's not it's about much more than that it's about right. colonialism and it's a very funny movie okay cool. and gorgeous to look at
2: zama right looking out for that then uh excellent well uh looks like we've got plenty of movies to be watching between now and next week uh, hope you enjoy whatever you're up to, listeners, and thanks for joining us today. Many thanks, Elena, for being, no being here, and you, David Jenkins. Uh, you're back, I think, next week, is that We're right? Back for back for Blade Runner. For Blade Runner 2049. Hope you will be too, listeners. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back next midweek. This was a Seven Digital production.